0: Hey, San Diego, if you're someone who thinks a lot about homelessness or if you don't, but want to learn more about the people trying to help this population, this episode of Name Drop San Diego is for you. I'm Abby Hamblin here with my co-host, Christy Totten. On this episode, we're talking to Tamara Kohler, who is the CEO of San Diego's Regional Task Force on the Homeless. The task force is a nonprofit organization which coordinates funding policy and strategy on efforts to end homelessness in San Diego. Tamara has worked on issues of housing and homelessness for the state of Utah and city of Seattle before coming to San Diego to serve as chief operations officer and now chief executive officer of the regional task force on the homeless. She describes homelessness as a problem that she's optimistic about solving and that homelessness truly could be brought to an end with the right strategies and resources in place. You'll hear all about her thoughts on this as well as how she stays committed to such a difficult challenge on this episode. Here's our interview with Tamara Kohler.
1: Tamara, thank you so much for joining us. It's really nice to talk to you. Um, our first question is just about uh, the pandemic. You know, San Diego's homeless population has spent uh, you know, part of the year living at the convention center. We've seen um, deaths on the streets. How, how would you describe the conditions um, on the streets of San Diego at this moment?
2: So the streets of San Diego, I think, are uh, a challenging space right now, right? We know that uh, during the pandemic, the shift around homelessness was not only just to shelter and provide housing to the best of our ability, but it really was a protective measure, right? We looked at how do we protect uh, individuals when the guidance that's coming from the CDC, from our public health is everybody go home, right? We were all told shelter at home. For a homeless population, that's not an option or a reality. And so the importance of having adequate shelter that was safe and appropriate is really the underpinning of the work around the convention center as a large multi-shelter operation. That work has ramped down. None of those individuals were uh, returned to the street but to other shelter options or to house. We did a lot of housing out of that. But anybody who is downtown, and I happen to live downtown, uh, sees we still have a homeless uh, problem. We have individuals who are still sleeping on our streets. We're seeing a little bit more in the tent structures downtown. And that's something that we need to make sure that we're engaging more intentionally some of this population. So it is something we watch regularly. We work with our partners of the downtown partnership that does a monthly count to really understand how many people are we seeing, how many tents kind of structures, and then coordinating outreach to really engage with those individuals. So I would say San Diego as a whole for downtown has a plan that we're engaging those individuals. But as the city comes back to life, more tourists, you know, more events and more um, opportunities it may look like the homeless population is changing. It's just we've got more and more just general population out there. But the work at hand is really addressing those that are in tents that need to be connected to more appropriate sheltering resources. We need a couple more options around shelter. And you've seen that in the mayor's budget. So we're, we're not as bad as we have been in previous years, but we don't want to go that direction again either. So good coordination and good effort to try and stem what we're seeing in a positive way.
0: So we've seen some headlines recently that are, um, you know, obviously pretty uh, difficult and disturbing from the person being stabbed in their sleep to the uh, car hitting, you know, multiple homeless individuals in the street. and, And then there was a woman found in a trash can. And you know, every now and then we hear those headlines, obviously a string in a row there. But does the task force um, that you work with have anything to do with those kind of direct responses in those sort of, you know, emergency and some of the things that meet the headlines? Or um, how does that really, affect your work?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. So the task force is a nonprofit. So we're not government, but we're also a unique nonprofit that we don't deliver direct services. So probably the best way to think about the task force is an old um, campaign that was done for BASF. And they used to say, you know, we don't make a lot of the products we buy. We make a lot of the products you buy better. So we do strategic planning. We're a policy organization, best practices and performance. We measure that through data. So when you're talking about these loss of life, or traumatic events that are happening. We're very aware of them. I'm one of the first people that gets notified. But we trust our providers, our EMS response to really um, be that front line of, of uh, response. But our role is to really track kind of all of that in the trends and where we're seeing people and how we can coordinate our efforts and better address it. Loss of life, whether for a homeless population or an aging population anywhere is, is a tragedy to all of us. We've experienced far too much of that in a pandemic, right? And so when you look at the stabbing that you talked about or the, the woman that was found in a dumpster or the uh, traumatic event of someone running up on the sidewalk, the fact that each of those involved a homeless individual is on my radar. But unfortunately we have those same events for the general population in a lot of ways, right? We could have had general people on the sidewalk what we need is more safe places for people to be sheltered, and we need more places where they can get in and out of those environments. So the common thread in all of those, every single person was seeking shelter in a less than safe space. So adequate and safe shelter is where my organization really leans in to get more of that. How do we get political will? How do we get the resources? How do we provide more places to safely be? And that's our body of work.
0: Uh, So you have been working on these issues, you know, housing and homelessness for a while now, not just here, but what first drew you to the issue? How did you get involved?
2: You know, it's uh, kind of, it's one of those sort of unique stories. I'm not a social worker, so uh, that's not what draws me to this work. I started with the state of Utah, developing a database. And uh, so I don't know if you've ever done the Clifton Strength Finders that give you like the strengths of leadership. Um, so I'm going to give you mine only because I think it, it sort of leads into why I do this work. So mine's strategic achiever, deliberative, learner and analytic. So there's no soft, squishy stuff in that, right? <laughs> but what it does is I'm uniquely attuned to systems and strategies and, and working on things I believe are achievable then I have the passion and the purpose behind it. So when I went to work for the state of Utah to really work on a database around tracking homelessness, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is amazing. Let's do all this stuff with the data. And there wasn't a good way to like put it into action. So the data side, the performance side, led me to more leadership opportunities To And I'm that wrong person in the room that can't sit on their hand and not raise their hand and say, I'll do that. So um, I'm incredibly passionate about this work because I firmly believe it's an achievable outcome. We can end homelessness, it's a solvable problem. And then behind that is the fact that I like data, but I like that it's about people. So I'm a very person-centered approach due to my own background, but also I just, I'm, I'm driven and focused on doing good work in our communities, whatever that may be. And I can do this through my strengths, but it's always about people. And one of the most complex systems is a person. And so one of the most complex problems that we have is trying to solve homelessness for people. And so there's a part of me that thrives in that, finds um, a passion and an opportunity, but also a true knowledge that this is achievable and that people absolutely wanna be housed. I have no one I've ever met that said they wanted to be homeless. What they needed is the right level of support and opportunities to end that housing instability problem. And then there's bigger system pieces. So I I also see in every homeless person, something in my own family, a sibling that struggles with substance abuse, aging parents that lost jobs later in life, health conditions, mental health. If we're really honest, we all have that in our families, right? It's not close to you, it's somewhere out there. And I think if we would get down to the root that this is really people that we all sit, tend to have in our own families, it's easier for us to solve the problem.
1: So you've worked in Utah, also Seattle. You know, what did you learn in those areas? Is this is the situation similar in all cities, or do cities have unique challenges?
2: Cities have unique challenges. I, as you said, I had the opportunity to do this on a state level, right? So I had. Rural communities. I had tourist communities like Park City, Utah, right? I have capital cities like the city of Salt Lake. And then when I went to work for the city of Seattle, it was just the city. But that is also kind of a border community, you know, close to the water, a lot of veterans, a lot of um, military personnel that end their careers there. And then here in San Diego, kind of similar, we're a border community. And I can tell you there's a lot of similarities. There are more similarities than there are. Um, I think, sort of unique things. The, the culture is unique in all of the communities, but there's always this weird undertone that if we really attack homelessness, if we have adequate and safe shelter, if we have appropriate housing, people are gonna send us more homeless individuals because we figured it out and we're doing it right. That narrative existed in Utah and in all the small towns and big towns. It existed in Seattle, in Tacoma, which was kind of our sister city that we work with, and it exists in San Diego. And it just is not true. We do do a a point in time count every year and we ask the question. Nearly 80 percent of the individuals experiencing homelessness in San Diego are San Diegans. They live here. So the the uniqueness of every community kind of leaning in on, you know, Faith-based organizations, foundations, maybe how we put our our plan together, how we collaborate, how we coordinate. It has a San Diego flavor. In Seattle, it has a very Seattle flavor. Um, and in Utah, a similar approach. But what you get from all of them is the problem is actually solved with housing, housing people can afford. All of those areas lacked an adequate amount of affordable housing. The people on fixed incomes, people on, you know, A little bit of income could could put together. And all of the communities, and including the state of Utah, we did away with the level of workforce housing and we did away with kind of affordable housing, being okay with well maintained trailer parks or um, some letting or, um, you know, board and care, you know, rent by room type options. When you remove all of those from your communities, and I saw it in every community, um, we lose affordability.
0: I think, you know, people like us are seeing the headlines constantly and are aware of the mayor's budget and the different things that are happening, um, whether it be from one mayor to the next or, you know, just new initiatives that are announced all the time. I think maybe the public, you know, hears these new tasks, like committees introduced or initiatives introduced, um, but maybe doesn't know what's working and what's gone away and, you know, what specifically is helping now. So. Um, I know you could talk for hours about this, I'm sure, but can you kind of clear up to the listeners what you feel is really working now and the priority now um, and what really hasn't
2: been? Well, I think that, you know, there's, this is a unique point in time for us as a nation. We're recovering from a pandemic where we learned that the importance of health can affect any of us, any level, any population. We're all highly at risk if we aren't actually a place where we can be protected. So the intersection between homelessness and and health and having housing that's adequate is now like not questioned, right? Social determinants of health housing is one of those. One of the things coming out of the pandemic and with changes of leadership in D.C. is substantial funding. So not only is there a new department at the county being stood up, uh, a new department at the city being stood up that's really concentrating and coordinating their efforts the regional task force is a convening body so we also are, are a coordinating body and what you're seeing that's different in past years is sort of the singular purpose of aligning all of our plans all of our resources all of the ways that we're doing things are really figuring out where are the gaps where are the opportunities and trying to make big steps forward with one-time funding. We're trying to to learn from our neighbors in LA that received a lot of money and didn't have really strong plans to put that money to work. Now that we are going to see similar influxes, you should be seeing from the public asks of your communities to cite things, right? We need more appropriate, adequate shelters for seniors, for families, For those that have health conditions we need more housing to be cited that is really naturally affordable or affordable for a population when they're just experiencing homelessness and you're also going to see a lot of work on prevention right one of the things that we saw is a lot of people who lost their jobs due to no fault of their own but businesses literally being mandated to close right and so this different level of needing employment, this different level of needing assistance to housing will blend in incredibly well and lift the work that we do around homelessness. We need assets. We need the capacity and capital to be able to do it. A lot of it is one-time funding. So I hope that the public is looking for places that they can lean in and, and be, you know, supportive of these things. The hardest part around addressing homelessness is when you have the political will, you have the money to be able to do it, you understand how many units you need and we can't get a development, a a property secured because the public doesn't want it. I have learned doing this for well over a dozen years, if we will push forward, if we will do all of the appropriate work, once we cite them and they're built and people are housed in them, They're hyper-focused, very, very diligent about, like, what's going on there. And then they begin to see them as people. And then they begin to shift and be like, oh, actually, we really like them. Or we see the vulnerabilities that are there. They're much more accepting over time. And then, you know, they realize they become a part of their community. So this sort of intentional understanding of these are just San Diegans, and many of them with a, a lot of health challenges more than anything else. They've been through a traumatic experience that usually leads to homelessness and they're dealing with some heavy lifts, most of them health related.
1: You just mentioned a few examples, but I mean, what are what are things that the average San Diegan can do about homelessness? And I guess what are some do's and what are some don'ts? You know, we hear we hear the certain things we, we should and shouldn't do. Uh, what's your take?
2: So I think it's it, it's also important. I have people ask me all the time, I want to do something, right? But they a lot of times, you know, want to be able to give food on the corner or like feel good things for them. What we really need to understand is there is a coordinated effort behind a lot of the service providers to do this work. So donate your your resources, right? General funds is a really important thing for them. Support the impacts that they're doing in their communities. If you have a job or or you're an employer, consider employing some of these individuals, especially my young homeless population, that Tay population, so that 18 to 24 take a chance on these these young people. They really are trying to figure this out and and employment's a big part of it. You know, allow us to cite things in your community, right? Inform yourselves, get really engaged. Mental health issues, substance use issues exist in our entire population, not uh, exclusively with the homeless population. So being able to really understand, you know, daycare is an important piece, right, for someone who's working. There's a whole list of service providers. You can donate time, you can donate resources. Um, you can also work with your electeds to help them cite good things, right? It's also important to know that many times if you see someone you're concerned about, calling the police is not gonna get the level of response that we need. What we really need is a wellness check. So make sure that you know what are the right numbers to call, who do I work with, and how do, what are the resources in my community? I have had people say, you know what? I feel really compelled to give money uh, to an individual. You know, that is that is within your option, but if you do also, um, and we have them on our website and we can share those, we have little handouts of where services are within their communities. So help, but also let them know, do they know where the closest place to get food, to get, you know, connected to resources, shelter, you know, even if the shelters are full, we want them to be able to use the services, the hygiene, right? Those kind of things, where do you charge your phone? So I think being informed about the system that supports this population is really important. The other thing that really the general public can do, we need to reduce the stigma and shame and bias around homelessness, because they're, especially for our aging population, there's a lot of them that experience homelessness and they don't want anybody to know. They're dressing the same way, but they're living in their cars. So if someone someone you worked with, someone who's in your social system, someone in your faith-based organization, someone in your family, you're just not seeing on a regular basis and you know they may have had a loss of job, a loss of spouse, the isolation that comes, reach out to them. Because you may not realize they may actually be experiencing homelessness or right on the cusp of experiencing homelessness. And that's true of young families, that's true of your own. So think about your networks, who in your community might need, who in your natural network might need You know, a quick call, a quick welfare check, a quick uh, check in. And then I think the other piece is that doesn't mean that you now cover their housing. How do you connect them to prevention dollars, other supports? In a way, it empowers them without the shame and the stigma and the bias that there are times in our lives we need public assistance. We're okay with public health, we're okay with public education, but somehow public assistance for food and housing has a different connotation to it and it should. not
1: We have a few questions for you in a lightning round that are about you, just turning away from policy for a minute, we're gonna get back to it. But um, our first question is, what is something that you have personally missed doing during the pandemic?
2: So I'm a pain, painful introvert. So at first I thought this was the greatest thing, right? So um, but I'll tell you what I miss. I miss my mom. She's 73. She's in Utah and I couldn't travel. So first thing, you know, when it was my turn, my age range, get my vaccine. Go see my mom. Absolutely. Great answer. I hope that's soon. Yeah, me too. I just got my second shot, what, a week ago? So I think I have one more week and then nice. I'm going to- and then i yeah. and then i'm gonna make my beeline to see my mom right there awesome um what
0: is your most used emoji
2: uh you know the one with the blow in the head <laughs> no <I'm just>
0: kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a good addition i think it's a new one but it's a good it's necessary
1: mind blown yeah. uh, what's what's the best thing that you've um you know watched or streamed lately
2: oh god right isn't that our all of our guilty pleasures the most
1: embarrassing one is the best answer so the most embarrassing
2: well i just did um oh the coach the soccer coach uh oh ted lasso ted lasso the best right now i might be the last person to watch it but oh my gosh right so good
1: i don't know this show i'm left out okay i'm gonna look it up
2: It just. Okay, now I feel good that I'm not the last person. I'm gonna be the
1: last one. Yeah, you're good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my kids referred. They were like, "You gotta watch this." And I have adult children and grandchildren. And then after I started watching it, my daughter texted me. She's like, "Ooh, oh, and they swear." And I was like, (laughs) "I hear that, but it's great."
0: It's for everyone. I think it's really for everyone. Okay, um, what is the best advice you've ever
2: been given? You know, the best advice I've ever been given, given. is shut up and listen, right? Uh, especially in my work, right? Hear, listen and hear. I, you know, that sounds really cliche, but it's very true. The more, if we would listen more, I think we would understand better and get more done. That's
1: good advice. What is your favorite place in San Diego?
2: Um, my, <laughs> so my favorite place, um, I live right downtown um by the county building i actually love the counties like river park it's a great yeah. place to walk It you know you get a lot of tourists and because i work in homelessness it's a great place for me to take the temperature of the city and what we're doing and how effective we are what is your
0: first memory
2: oh my first memory um so Did you grow up in Utah? I didn't, I was born in Fort Hood, Texas. So this will give you a little bit about some military background. Uh, My mom and dad had four little kids very quickly. So uh, my dad served two tours to Vietnam. So when he came home, um, he died when I was five. So he came home safe from Vietnam and unfortunately uh, died on an accident at a part-time job while he was going to school. So my earliest memory is him taking my trike out of the middle of the way from the garage or the driveway so he could pull his car in. Isn't that the strangest thing? But I think the reason I hold on to it is losing my dad at, at you know, I was four, almost five, holding on to his face and his is, is precious to me. As much as it's kind of one of those memories of like me getting in trouble, <laughs> you know, um,
1: it, it's, it's important to me. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, but that is a sweet memory.
2: So, you know, know, like a realistic one. Yeah, it reflects me. I, I, you know, I, I believe in the resilience of the human spirit, right? I mean, I, I do, um, you know, losing your father when you're very young lays a course of being just different. You just, you don't have what others have. You don't fit where others fit. And, and I see, you know, I, I see the challenges that people have in life.
1: What is the the book that has impacted you most
2: well i'm very faith-based driven so the book that matters the most for me is one that's that is a part of my faith that is rooted it's called the book of mormon and that's really important to me it's one i study over and over scripture does something for me i think i find different things about me each time i read it and um so just very honestly i read lots of leadership books a lot of history But the one book that just for me is, is my scriptures.
0: Okay, what is um, a life goal that you have or something that you haven't done that you're, um, you're still pushing
2: towards doing? So, oh, this is an easy one. I want to see all of the national parks. Yes, right. (laughs) so much so that for for Christmas, my kids got me a map where you can scratch them off. Right. Oh, that's so. I would be that little old lady with the picture in the back of your trailer of all the states that you got to. (laughs) I have a scratch off, but I'd love to see every national park. Wait, how many and how many have you been to? Well, let's let's. I was in Utah and there's like 10 right there. So.
1: Utah is so beautiful. Yeah, all those state and national parks, there's so many.
2: Oh, they're gorgeous. And then in Washington, right? So as I made that trek up and down, and then I came down the uh, Washington, Oregon coast when I came to San Diego, I hit every single one. There are a lot that are national parks that are beaches and, and things on the way down. But I haven't, I haven't done them. I'm not even close to doing them all, but I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's a great life goal. Uh, Well, that concludes our lightning round. But
1: I do have another just personal question for you, which is that, you know, your line of work is such a difficult one. You know, how have you sort of stuck it out uh, for this long and and continued to work, you know, on a really
2: challenging issue? You know, I I um, it's a really good question because people ask me that often. Like, don't you get discouraged? Like I wake up every morning really sort of empowered to do this work. Uh, I it's not easy Uh, we get you know I personally get criticized I don't tell people when I fly on a plane what I do who sits next to me when they'll say what do you do and I want to be like I run a donut shop because who doesn't like a donut shop right Um, but again it goes back to the fact that I firmly believe this is a solvable problem I get to see the data all the time I get to see where the money is I get to see the impact and the effort I get to see that every day we're ending homelessness so for me you know what you have to have a thick skin you have to understand that many times people are not as knowledgeable as they need to be to remove the bias around this this is scary to a lot of people Homelessness is sort of a scary condition and it also is really misunderstood and so you know the the motivation for me the drive the joy in what i do is that it is it is an achievable goal it's not a dream it's an achievable goal I also believe that you need strong leaders that come every day being able to lead by example, hold each other accountable, but get the work done. And I love that part of it, right? One of the things we need to do in the homeless industry is get better over time, like all other industries try to do. So trying to improve our processes and do that um, is one of those things that we lean into and it's 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 interesting work. It can be heartbreaking i will say there are days at the end of the day especially being an introvert it's somewhat exhausting and it's personally taxing because it's about people and yet i i see great great opportunity and more so in san diego than anywhere else i've done this work like i'm excited to be like you want to be in the place where a big change happened and that's what i see happening and the opportunity in san diego
0: So the um, the task force puts out a lot of data and reports uh, for others to read, and we were looking at the most recent one. um, And one of the findings I wanted to ask you about we're hearing everybody in the county talking about equity, especially in this last year or so. And um, the report found that uh, black San Diegans black San Diegans continue to be overrepresented in the homeless community. And so I wanted to just spend a minute talking about that, um, whether whether it's known why that is and what. um, we're gonna be seeing uh, that's, uh, that's meant to address that.
2: So we have been looking at the racial disparities within our system very intentionally since 2018. So just wanna make sure that you know that we use data to, to really drive a lot of our work. But when it comes to the disparities around race, we had been looking at this in 2018. So if you go on our website, we did a racial equity look 2018, 2019, 2020. We took a housing crisis, we added a public health crisis on top of it with the pandemic. And really a root identity crisis when we all leaned into the racial disparities and the challenges around George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And our board took it upon themselves to not only issue a statement, but also an action plan. And so we have a committee that we've formed on addressing homelessness amongst Black San Diegans. We already had the data. We were already somewhat leaning in, but the time of action was yesterday. And so this committee is actually looking at not only where the disparities are, and where we see it is those entering homelessness. We are seeing that greater percentage of people entering our system, Black San Diegans, compared to the general population, which is about five and a half percent. But once they're in the system, they're actually served rather equitably. So where we're gonna put our attention is, why are we having more coming in and there are things we know we know that our systems of acquiring kind of wealth and success have, have been we've had redlining we've had less home ownership which is one of the greatest ways we acquire wealth greater for you know our our white population than our blacks you know and, and our our minority populations we're leaning in with the county on how do we look at our systems how do we better address it how do we create equity in those services? And part of it also is that we need to be able to house people in opportunities of success, not just back in the same kind of underrepresented under, under um, resource communities as well. So this is a long-standing problem that we are seeing the level of poverty, the uh, justice system, Overrepresentation there. And so a lot of people exiting the justice system without housing, like it all sort of feeds on itself. We're gonna do a better job of ending homelessness and, and literally reducing poverty when we start correcting some of the ways that wealth was distributed in home ownership in community investment and the redlining that happened. I'm really excited and very passionate about what our ad hoc committee will bring to our board and our community. And then we're going to implement strategies, not only through trying to address that, but how do we fund programs? How do we evaluate? What is our diversity even in our leadership? How are we doing in um, communities to empower them? We want to get the power down to the people who need it and understand it in a very intentional way.
1: Do you think it's possible to ever truly 100% end homelessness? And if so, how,
2: how do we get there? We could if housing was a human right right if it was a basic human right just like public education public health we could end homelessness now that doesn't mean that someone won't ever experience housing insecurity but homelessness as we know it where someone is literally on the street for large periods of time or in emergency shelters for large periods of time we can totally end that we probably just like any other let's say health condition we're always going to need an emergency room, right? Even if we've almost eradicated a health condition through your your primary care physician, through clinics, we still need emergency rooms. So we will probably still always need a crisis response to housing insecurity. Do we need it at the depth that we have? I don't believe that we have to have that. So when we talk about ending homelessness, part of it is creating a system by which, if you do have a housing crisis, it is very short, is incredibly rare and and that it doesn't happen again that we connect you to those resources so i think we need to be really careful about ending homelessness as if it is that you're going to be able to just turn out the lights and and never have anyone experience homelessness what we need is a system that addresses it often and quickly so that we literally eradicate the fact that that you know housing is just not affordable to people with hardly any income or with you know a challenging crisis if we had places that people could afford with very little money we wouldn't have them on the streets
0: my last question for you is if you could look every san diegan in the face right now many of them will be listening and this is your one-on-one uh, moment with them what is the one thing you wish you could tell them about homelessness in san diego
2: one of the things i hear often is i have to pay for my housing why does someone deserve free housing It's important to know that all of our housing is not free. Anyone who's housed pays 30% of their income. That may be fixed income from benefits, but something is paid by everyone who is in housing. So the more housing that we can have that is affordable, the more we'll reduce those. Those that need the public assistance pay something. And so if we want to recover, if we want to really have a thriving community, I think we need to be comfortable with the fact that some people need a little assistance. And we're okay in so many other areas. We need to get okay and comfortable with assisting people with housing. We're totally fine with social security for an aging population. Why are we not okay with this?
0: Thanks for listening to our interview with Tamara Kohler. On this podcast, we talk to interesting San Diegans from all different areas, from sports to science, to education, So please give our other episodes a look on your listening app to see if there's another episode you may be interested in. We want to invite you to check out some of our other shows on the UT Podcast Network as well. San Diego News Fix comes out Monday through Friday with an inside look at the top news stories of the day. And Hot Lava is a podcast all about the Padres from reporter Kevin Acey and sports editor Jay Posner. Thanks again for listening to us today, and we'll see you next time. Our episodes drop every Tuesday. Bye.